Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg for this episode of Find Your Film, episode 152, I believe. We're covering two films, Ritual, The Ritual Killer and Wildflower. So both completely different movies. Eric Holmes interviews director George Gallo and actor Vernon Davis for The Ritual Killer. And I interviewed director, co-writer Matt Smuckler for Wildflower. Simply put, The Ritual Killer is a very interesting movie. We reviewed it last week on Cinematics. Cole Hauser plays a detective. His life is not so good. He lost his daughter some years back, and he's pretty much in a state of existing. He's existing, but he's filled with trauma. Understandable so. Understandably so. And what happens is he his life takes a turn, continued turn for the worse when he tries to track down a serial killer. I guess he's called here the ritual killer, played by Vernon Davis. And this killer has an interesting way of looking. There's a reason why he kills people. And I don't really want to give away why the, the crime occurs, but it's due to some kind of tribal ritual called Muti, M-U-T-I. And it's, look that up, Google it. It's pretty intense. Morgan Freeman plays the anthropologist slash professor who helps the detective, again, played by Cole Hauser, find or track down the serial killer. So on a surface level, it can be enjoyed for that reason. Just if you're a fan of Freeman and Hauser and you like these type of films, serial killer films should be at least a worthy watch for you. It was a worthy watch from both me and Eric Holmes. The ending of this movie, which deals with something with Cole Hauser, is very memorable. I think it's just worth, even if you don't like it, which I did, by the way, even if you don't like the movie, I think the final moments of, yes, of The Ritual Killer is worth a watch just for, yeah, you cannot unsee the, the ending of The Ritual Killer. would love to hear what you guys think of that movie. Now, another movie that I covered, or actually Eric Holmes did that, that interview with Gallo and Vernon Davis, and I believe that interview is around 20 minutes plus. So check that out. And also, if you are a member of our Cinematics Patreon community, you're going to actually, you can actually see the spoiler discussion of The Ritual Killer Early Access. Uh, check it out. Check out our Patreon as well for that regarding, they talk a little bit about the ending. Now for Wildflower, I interviewed Matt Smuckler. He is the director and co-writer of this movie. And it's, here is the IMDb plot summary. Quote, a coming of age film that follows B. Johnson from birth to graduation as she navigates life with an intellectually disabled parent and an extended family who can't agree on the best way to help. So her parents are played by, by the way, her parents are very good. Dash, I don't know how to pronounce his name and because I haven't seen a lot of these interviews on YouTube. Dash Myhawk or Mihawk? As for Wildflower, here's a plot summary on IMDb. Quote, coming of age film that follows B. Johnson from birth to graduation as she navigates life with an intellectually disabled parent and extended family who can't agree on the best way to help. This extended family, it's filled with actors you've seen before. Really cool cast. Alexander Daddario is in it. There's also Gene Smart. She's fantastic in it. J- Jackie Weaver. A whole bunch of people. Ryan Keir Armstrong, who you might have seen recently in The Old Way and earlier in the earlier last year in Carrie, the remake. Ryan Keir Arm- Armstrong plays the younger version of B. B. Johnson, the main character of the film, is played by Kieran Shipka. You know her from the Sabrina film, from the Sabrina series and Mad Men and a bunch of other movies and a bunch of movies. So really good cast members here. Also, the parents are played by Dash Mihawk or Mihook or Mihawk. I don't know how to pronounce his name. My bad. And Samantha Hyde, who, by the way, Samantha Hyde 
is very, very good in, is very, very good in this movie. It's a family drama, essentially, coming of age family drama. If you're a fan of Kiernan Shipka, you're going to probably definitely watch this movie because she is front and center in this film. That said, there's a lot of really interesting moments among the ensemble, within the ensemble cast. There's a great moment between Gene Smart and Jackie Weaver, which I allude to in the interview. And Matt, director Matt Smuckler talks about shooting on the day. There were tons of mosquitoes in this public bathroom, I think public school bathroom. And he talks about shooting that scene with Gene Smart and Jackie Weaver, who were completely troopers on that day of production. Movie also stars one of my favorite actors of this current generation, Charlie Plummer. He's in it as well as the love interest of B. Johnson and Kieran Chipka. She's very good in this movie. If you're into family dramas and you appreciate any of the aforementioned actors, Wildflower is worth a watch. This is the first time, this is a actually directing, feature directing debut of Matt Smuckler. So give this, give this movie a shot. Let me look right now where it's going to be playing. It is playing this Friday, March 17th at the Lamley Monica Film Center. Again, at the Lamley Monica Film Center this Friday, March 17th. Most importantly, it will be available on digital and demand starting March 21st. So that are the two, those are the two movies, The Ritual Killer and Wildflower. And also I want to, one last recommendation is, this is a personal one. This is a little bit with, with bias. That said, I've seen this movie three times and I've realized a couple things. I can continue to watch this movie. This movie called The Magic Flute has high, has a high rewatchability factor. And the reason why there is a little bit of a bias here is last week I was had the honor of moderating the Q&A of the Magic Flute here in North Hollywood, California at the, I believe it's called the Lamley NoHo, at the Lamley NoHo. The first night I interviewed Florence Sigal and co-stars Jack Wolf and Asha Banks. And the second night I was able to interview Florence Sigal again, the director, as well as the producers two of the producers in the movie. I believe that's Fabian Wolfhart and also who is the other one? And Christopher Zwickler. That's it, Christopher Zwickler. I did not actually look up the name. I just remembered from my small brain, it's Christopher Zwickler and Fabian Wolfhart and Florian Sigel for the second night of the Q&As. Now, why is the magic flute worth a shot? Well, it's based, it's sort of a weird, cool version of Mozart's The Magic Flute. Okay, if you don't know the opera, I was not aware. I'm not a big classical music person. So the magic flute actually worked for me because it centers, it's a, a it's a coming of age story about this 17 year old kid named Tim Walker, played by Jack Wolf. And he enters this school with hopes and dreams of becoming a singer. And what happens is because of the book that his late father gives him, the beginning of the movie, this book, once put in, in the library of the school at a certain time, transports him back into the actual Mozart opera, The Magic Flute. So a lot, like around half of the movie deals with Tim Walker's adventures within the world of The Magic Flute. There's a ton of special effects in this movie. There's a big giant snake, which is pretty awe-inspiring. It's the same special effects team who did Game of Thrones. So you get another game. The actual special effects are really good. F. Murray Abram, in a full circle moment, he plays a headmaster, a very stern headmaster of this school, this Mozart school. And obviously, uh, you know that F. Murray Abram played Salieri years back over in the movie Amadeus. 
So that was a full circle moment for F. Murray Abram. He is solid in this movie as well, very memorable as the headmaster. And look, the music here, which is a mixture between music and opera, is fantastic. I like the special effects. I really enjoyed the lead work from Jack Wolf and Asha Banks as the princess. She's good as well. So Princess Pamina. It's just a fun movie. And I don't even know how to pronounce this guy's name. I believe his name is Ewan, Ewan, Rion. You might have known him as Ramsey Bolton in Game of Thrones. He plays Papageno. And Papageno has, played by Ewan Rion. I'm messing up his name and it's my bad. It's one of the, the, yeah, his musical number is very memorable in this movie as well. So I just had a really great time moderating the Q&A, even though I stumble during this intro of the podcast. I think I, I think I did an okay job and down the road, I would love to actually do some film moderations. In the future, don't know if I'm going to get the opportunity, but you're speaking of, of opportunities, give me your reaction when you see the magic flute. If you really love, little, it has a mixture of a YA, young adult coming of age story on one level. Then on the, you put another level, you have sort of the, you have the music, the opera, which is really fun. The music's really good. And then on the third level, you have the really wonderful production design and special effects. It's an indie movie, relatively indie movie. It's not like a hundred or $150 million movie, but for what budget they were able to work with, it's a pretty looking film. The music's excellent and the performances are inspired. So I had a really great time moderating because this was a good movie. And honestly, after watching it three times, I can watch it again. So I I believe that says a lot about how, how much I really enjoyed The Magic Flute. Currently, as of this week, it's still in theaters in select cities across the U.S. and select theaters across the U.S. Give it, a, give it a shout. Speaking of shout, it's from Shout Factory. And hopefully when it comes out on Blu-ray or DVD digital a month or month and a half from now on this Find Your Film podcast, I'll be, I'll make sure to do some giveaways here for you, for your listeners. All right, guys? So again, that is it. Long, I know, long intro. I apologize. Let's get to Eric Holmes' interview first for The Ritual Killer. And then after that, we're going to close out with my interview with director Matt Smuckler and his debut film, Wildflower, which I enjoyed. Again, once it, The Wildflower, The Ritual Killer, and The Magic Flute, if you've seen or eventually see any of these movies, hit me and Eric Holmes and Bruce Perky up over at info at findyourfilms.com. Tell us what you think of these movies. All right, thanks again. Bye. So how are you guys doing today? Good. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm here with uh, George Gallo and Vernon Davis, uh, the actor and director of The Ritual Killer. I guess I will start with uh, uh, George. You have uh, quite extensive, uh, uh, pretty prolific uh, writing credits and uh, as well as directing. And sometimes you write or sometimes you direct the things you write. Sometimes you direct things other people write. What's what's the decision process in uh, deciding what you're going to direct and what you're not. Um, It's, it's, it's not that thoughtful. It's a little more haphazard than you might think. I mean, in in the case of this, uh, I, uh, Morgan was originally interested in the script and I've done, this is the fifth movie I've done with Morgan. And uh, so he, he, we, we talked about it. Uh, The producer was a friend of mine. He talked to me about it, and I, I, when I originally read it, I said, I don't really do this kind of movie. This is, I mean, I love these kind of movies. I just don't do them. 
you know, I, I tend to, you know, I could have easily turned this movie into a comedy, you know, I mean, I just, just the way I think, because I'm always looking for humor. So I originally I said to them, I, I don't want to do it. But then I started to think about it. And some of my favorite films are, are those films of the 70s, like William Friedkin movies, like uh, French Connection, uh, Sorcerer, Cruising, The Exorcist, you know. And what I actually did was I looked at Cruising seemed the closest to me uh, in, ter- in terms of the tonality of, of what this movie is. So I watched Cruising a whole bunch of times and I know Billy Friedkin. So I called him. And I said, Billy, it's, it's George Gallo. I says, I'm going to, I think I'm going to do this movie that you probably should have done 35, 40 years ago. And uh, uh, could you give me some pointers? And he gave me some excellent thoughts. He, he, uh, he said uh, a couple of things. He said, don't, can I say, can I curse or not? Oh, go for it. He said, don't come up with a bullshit climax because the end of the movie doesn't know it's the end of the movie. And I went, okay, that's a great idea. And he goes, end big. And I went, okay. And he goes, and let, let the scenes play out. And he goes, don't judge anything. Don't judge anything. If somebody acts abhorrent, don't judge it. He goes, don't get in the way. Don't be a filter. Don't go, oh, I don't like that. That upsets me. Don't do that. He says, just record what's happening in front of you. And, uh, and that's what I did. So, uh, so, so that's why I chose this because I figured, you know what? I want to not, be safe. I want to try something. I want to reach a little bit, you know? Yeah. And Vernon, I, I love your character, Randoku in this. Uh, he's got a, he's got a really kind of calm, but sinister vibe to him. And I really uh, appreciated that. What, what kind of brought you into the fold of the <laughs> ritual killer? Well, um, well, the role was free. Well, uh, producer named Joe Lemon that knows my, my manager, they connected and he he was talking about like he was looking for a character uh, for Rando- someone to play Randoku. And my name came up and I read the script and I fell in love with it because I fell in love with it because I, I knew that I had a lot to go into it based on my backstory and what I've gone through in my life. It just made sense. It made sense for that character. He was a, seemed like a unique character. Um, I saw him with this with this accent. I saw him knowing the actual language. So I started when I, when I figured that out, I started to put all the pieces together. I reached out to a girl on Instagram in South Africa. She helped me with the translation and I called up my dialect coach and we started to work. Yeah. I, I kind of wish my, uh, my co-host uh, Greg was here. Cause he's a huge De Palma fan and I got a, a bunch of De Palma vibes coming from this. Um, and a, a little bit of seven, and that may have come from Morgan Freeman, because I was thinking, uh, oh, is this like Somerset, like twenty five years later? Granted, the name and the history doesn't match up, but uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what can you say to that as far as like uh, just kind of making a pretty uh, in depth thriller and just uh, any De Palma inspiration well, that may or may not be there? It's it's funny you mentioned De Palma. De Palma directed the first script that I wrote. Uh, which was a comedy, which was rare for him. I mean, he started out doing comedies with Hi Mom and Greetings, you know. But uh, so I, I, I got to know Brian pretty well. I, I, it's impossible to make a serial killer movie with Morgan Freeman and not somehow those movies don't come up in your mind. And obviously, David Fincher has a very specific style, you know. And the one thing that was great about Seven was. 
I, I was never quite sure what city it took place in. It looks like LA, but there's an elevated train in it and it's raining all the time. So it, it looked, it, there was something slightly for me, otherworldly about it, you know, um, in this movie, I try to do the opposite. I tried to almost make it feel quasi documentary like in it, not where you became aware of it in terms of a style, but I, I was just going back to that Billy Friedkin idea. I was just trying to do it with as little di- directorial nonsensical flourishes as possible. And just, you know, I'd say, I right, just put the camera right here. You know, let's just, I know it's not pretty, but fuck it. That's, that's where I want it, you know? And uh, so that, that's sort of, that was my stylistic approach. Uh, But yeah, the Morgan reference, it's, it's impossible not to go there on some level, you know? Yeah. And Vernon, uh, you have, uh, you have, uh, you know, not hanging off uh, airplanes or anything, but uh, you got uh, some light parkour scenes here. Uh, Do you get to do a bunch of your stunts and uh, like, what, what, what was it like doing sort of the action scenes in this? It was great. It was great. A lot of we, we talked about this earlier, but a lot of the scenes that required me to do my own stunts, like sliding down the side of that wall on the pipe. I I used my athleticism for that, which came across really nice uh, when you watch the film. So you was, were trying to talk him out that, of it. He just wouldn't hear it. He just did all of his own <laughs> stuff. <laughs> it was fun, man. It was fun. I, I was like, look, I can go down the side of this pipe with one hand. It's like, can you really? Joe was like, can you really? I was like, yeah, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I probably, probably don't want to get too much into this, but uh, let me tell you how big of an idiot I am. Uh, I am a 49ers fan, and I uh, was telling my brother that I was uh, talking to you, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to the, the director and one of the actors for The Ritual Killer. It's like, oh, Vernon Davis? And I was like, that Vernon Davis? I'm like, no, no, no it's got to be some other guy. And I watched the movie, and it's like, oh, yeah, that's definitely not him. <laughs> So uh, it, you killed it there. You, you definitely pulled the wool over my eyes. That's great. That's funny. But uh, so um, I, I guess uh, Vernon also, I mean, you got a, you got a bunch of acting stuff coming up. You've done some producing. What was the transition like going from NFL to uh, Hollywood, I guess? Well, I was a firm believer when I was playing that you have to do whatever you want to do in the future. You have to do it now. And for me, the little time that I had, I started taking classes. I started um, showing up in films, reaching out, going to different festivals and just surrounding myself with talented people. And then after I was done playing, I, I had this script that I wanted to make. It was my very first film. I made it for $170,000 of my own money and I sold it to BT for $550,000. So oh, uh, nice score. I scored. I scored. <laughs> <laughs> But it's, uh, oh, that was you. cool. Yeah, that kind of gave me the awakening. I was like, oh, yeah, I, I got to keep doing this. And then I went on and went on and went on. And they say, you know, uh, the ritual killer was presented to me and bada bing, bada boom. Yeah. And also, George. Bada bing, bada boom. Bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> I did the opposite. I made a film with a million of my own money and I sold it for 90000 I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, George, you're also you're also quite prolific, and especially like the last couple of years, you've been doing like uh, two, three movies a year, it seems. And uh, the movies you got in post production, how, how do you maintain that kind of that kind of work ethic? Just the go, 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 and and 
to get them green light, which is a miracle for most people to even do one, let alone. Well, if you, if you look at, if you look at uh, my career, you know, I, sometimes I was working a lot and sometimes I wasn't, you know, it's, and if I learned anything in the years that I wasn't working was, you know, cause you know, you could go like three or four or five years will go by and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing anything, you know? I, and then suddenly it all starts coming at you again. It's all very cyclical. It's very strange. And I learned that I wasn't going to be, let's put it this way. A lot of times people who act very selective, they might be being selective because financially they're very secure or they feel very comfortable doing one kind of thing. I, I wanted to, I wanted to be better. I always want to be better. I want to like try things that I, I may fail at. You know, and and I don't want to get to the end of my life and go, you know, I turned out a whole bunch of opportunities because I was scared. So when more opportunities started to come at me, I just said yes, because I said, well, I could learn something from this. I've never done a detective movie. I could learn something from that. I've never done a big over the top slapstick movie. I could learn something from that. You know, so I would like like I did a movie called The Comeback Trail. I don't know if you've seen it or not, but it's supposed to come out in August with De Niro and Tommy Lee Jones and Morgan Freeman. And that's like a Buster Keaton movie. So I got to really like relearn all the Buster Keaton stunts and watch Charlie Chaplin movies, you know, and I so you're just always learning, you know, and 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 uh, and like with this, I was watching all these Billy Friedkin movies. So like there's all these different places you can go and and. And, and look, I, I, I'm always nervous when I step into making a film. I think you'd have to be an idiot not to be, you know, but at the same time, what, if I've learned anything by being in the business for 40 years and, and getting older is the only thing worse than working on something is not working on something. <laughs> so I, I'm going to opt for working, you know, and if something comes my way, I'm going to take a shot at it and do it, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you mentioned Buster Keaton, and it's it's amazing that uh, he didn't die like twenty times over uh, just because of stunts he did. Was, that it, oh yeah, yeah. And on front of the train, like like there there's so many opportunities for death. Yeah, but he's I, hanging onto the front, and his feet are dragging on the rails. I mean, yeah. yeah. But I like when you um like just on with your own filmmaking, you know, you could probably couldn't get away with stuff like that today because you'd get in a lot of trouble. And more importantly, you'd probably hurt someone. But how do yeah. you maintain safety on the set when doing stuff like that? Um well there weren't I mean there were just in this movie there were just more fights and stuff. And yeah. I mean you could you know you could break a finger on a fight or you could fall when Vernon jumped off the wall and jumped from building to building to building. Uh like I, we didn't want, I didn't want him to do that. But like I said, before you knew it, he was doing it. It was like, we were setting up and he went through it with the stunt coordinator. And then Vernon, I just saw him suddenly, I said, all right, let's shoot this. And he was already in, he was at number one position one. I says, all right, I guess he's going to do this himself. <laughs> you know? so, but thankfully nobody got hurt. Yeah. And, and Vernon, what's kind of your take on just uh um, I guess maybe the responsibility of actors and stunts, because obviously you do your own stunts, but you know, um, they always say like, uh, you know, if Brad Pitt's in a movie and he does his own stunt and he gets hurt, then that, you know, that, uh, movie is, uh, kind of sidelined for a bit. What What's yeah. your kind of thoughts on that? Mm-hmm. Well, you have to be careful. I think there's certain things that, that people like, uh, uh, 
like Tom Cruise or whoever can, there's certain things they can do. There's certain things they can't do. You want to be careful as long as they're safe and they can get it done. I think that's a great thing. And even for myself, I'm, I'm going to really make sure that I'm cognizant and paying attention to, to what's safe and what's not safe. And if I, if I don't think I can do it without getting hurt, then I'm probably not going to do it. Yeah. Also uh, kind of back to the ritual killer. Um, <laughs> I, I noticed like uh, granted they're cops and they're, I, I kind of, it doesn't take place in the Midwest, but I got that kind of vibe because I'm from Nebraska. So I, I know a lot of people, uh, that almost mm-hmm. are identical to Cole Hauser's character. Um, just, you know, on the surface. Uh, but there's also like a lot of, uh, blue lives kind of iconography in the, uh, cop shop there. But was that like a statement of anything or was that just, uh, was that just a background of what would be there for the characters? Well, we shot in a real uh, functional police station uh, that we didn't, which we shot in Mississippi uh, and the police department, they they were very uh, gracious to let us go in there. And we were filming while they were working and uh, we were using their offices and stuff. And again, going back to that Billy Friedkin idea, you know, Billy's always about making it real, making it real, making it real. So like I would walk, around i'd say man this is a depressing looking place it, you know it's like all just concrete and it's all painted the same colors and uh then there's a, some stuff on the walls like you know citations and plaques and stuff and little model cars and i was like you know what don't dress it leave it alone let's just shoot because i think it i i believe that those were real places obviously when you see it in the movie they feel like working real environments where the cops are working and and then uh you know, with Cole, like you said, I I, I feel I, I'm glad that you, you you dug what he did as an actor because I did too, and we kept talking that we kept saying that he was a guy that was very unhinged in in a lot of ways, and on the surface he was presenting one sort of person, but inside he was cracking up. He was talking with dead wife. He was drinking himself to sleep. He probably didn't sleep a lot of nights. He was really really an unhinged individual and uh so we we kept saying all right let's just do it let's do it without apology that's who this guy happens to be let's and you know as william freaking said you shoot it without judgment you just shoot it yeah well um i I think we got time i want to get into some spoilers but before that i'll do the regular questions and then and then we can do some spoilers after that um but the the so my co-host Bruce, he has a uh, box and people put movies in the box and he draws one out every week that we watch and review. And the movies in the box are usually um, typically something that's either personal to you or maybe uh, a movie that you saw that, oh man, this this thing was really good and no one ever talks about it. I, I wish mm-hmm. someone would just watch this and talk about it. Um, but for each of you, what what is a movie you each like to put in the box? That no one ever talks about? Or maybe something uh, underseen, or maybe something. Uh, I, just I adore. There's a lot of those. There's probably a couple that come to mind, but I mean, uh, I adore the original taking of Pelham One Two Three. Oh yes, <laughs> it, it's probably it's in my top five, and and uh, or certainly my top ten. Uh, then there's another very interesting and, and bizarre movie that I just adore that Sidney Pollack directed called Castle Keep. I don't know if you're familiar from 1969, a war movie. And it's more like a it's more like a dream or a memory than an actual story. 
and I, 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 there's a lot in that movie that I adore. And Vernon, you got one as well. Mm, I'm gonna have to say. Well, I found that a lot of people with it for this guy to be as famous as he is. Uh, Disney Washington, I'm talking. He, a lot of people have not seen The Equalizer. Oh, <laughs> yeah, they've, they've seen all kinds of movies. But when, we, when I talk about The Equalizer, I'm like, dude, you ever seen The Equalizer? Dude, the the part where he turns around and locks the door, and right away I'm like, dude, you fucked up. You dude, fucked that movie. Up. Oh my god. <laughs> One of my favorite, yes, unbelievable. Oh, those are great picks. And also, I guess just to kind of uh, add to that, what's something uh, for each of you of your own, uh, within your own credits that uh, maybe you've done in the past that is like, you know, I did good here and not a lot of people seen it and I wish they would kind of go back to it. For me? Yeah. I think all of them. Uh, No, I'm kidding. Uh, (laughs) Um, no, I mean, it all depends. I know it's a great question. I mean, I thought Middlemen was a good movie. Uh, 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 oh, I, yeah. I and there was a little movie I did that I ended up paying for. I ended up making myself called Local Color. Did, I don't know if you ever saw that. I've not seen that one. Yeah, it was with Trevor Morgan and, and Armin Mueller-Stahl and, and the late Ray Liotta. And I, I wrote about, I wrote and directed a movie about me when I went away for one summer, because I wanted to be an artist, I wanted to be a painter. And a, and a world famous painter lived not far from where I was born. And I tracked him down. He was an old, angry, bitter fucking drunk. And uh, I talked him into taking me on a painting trip, and I, <laughs> which was a mistake in some ways, because he was hammered by eight o'clock in the morning. And uh, but it, it was sort of a coming, not sort of, it's definitely a coming of age story. And I, I thought I thought that was a very sweet movie. All right, and Vernon, you got one as well. Yeah, for me, I'd probably say uh, "A Day to Die" with uh, starring Bruce Willis. I think that I thought I did really good in that movie, that film, and "A Message from Brianna," one of the first films that I did by myself that I sold to BT. Awesome! I'll definitely be sure to check that those out. And uh, thank you for showing up here. And Are I you appreciate. Kidding? Appreciate talking to you guys. Uh, we'll we'll, yeah, we'll get into the spoilers here in a second. Can I say something too? You, you can say whatever. It you is want. such a pleasure to talk to somebody who knows and loves movies. Yeah. I cannot tell you how many people I talk to about movies they don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, and I'm like, <laughs> dude. And I mean, even some film critics I've met, I'm like. I mean, I, I talk about like the French New Wave, and you know they don't know what I'm talking about. They start nodding like idiots. I'm like, beside, you know, uh, uh, yeah. breathless. Have you seen Breathless? Uh, like, come on. I don't, you know, you and I can't, you can't. It's like, I want to be a painter, but who's Picasso again? Shut up. Shut up, shut up, Four, shut up. 400 blows. I don't have Pornhub. What right, are the- <laughs> One of the great endings of all time when that kid runs into that close up. I mean, just stop it. Yeah. Um, but I uh, think, thank you very much. And- no, it's an honor and a pleasure. Oh. Man. <laughs> you work here? No, Esther, I'm picking up your trash because I don't work here. Dad, don't forget you have a dermatologist appointment today. Also, can you deposit mom's disability check? Growing up, I was told my parents were special. When I got old enough, I realized that's the word adults use when someone has a disability. Who's that? He looks thirsty. 
Look at her, the part of her brain that makes her horny is still working. She just wants to give him something to drink. It's the worst that could happen. I don't think they can take care of a child. What choice do we have? My mother named me after her favorite cartoon character. Hi, Bambi. Now you know what B is short for. But hey, at least we were happy. I know B's childhood was somewhat non-traditional. I don't want to do this anymore. You said it would be fun, and it's not fun. You got to learn how to drive. I'm 10. But that hasn't stopped her from enjoying it. Well, everyone was busy worrying about my future. B, still waiting on those college applications. Oh, I know. I was just trying to balance work, school, and caring for my parents. Is that why you never want me to come over? No. It's okay. Everyone's embarrassed by their parents. Hi. Come on in, man. <laughs> With your grades and extracurriculars, you have a shot at getting into any college. I can't. You can. No, I mean, I can't leave. My whole life, I've been torn between wanting to get away from my parents and wanting to care for them. Maybe because you do everything for them, you convince yourself that they're helpless. You spent a very long time worrying about other people. I think it's time to focus on you for a while. We are a family. But one of these days, you're going to move out. Get married. That's what kids are supposed to do. Whole new world with an unknown future. Shoot for the stars. You'll hit the roof. It's kind of a messed up saying. Man, as soon as I saw Wildflower in the emails, I was really excited about it. I saw the trailer. Was really into it. My o- my only thing though is. It's complimentary and it's anxiety ridden on on my end because you have such a great cast. And I'm just thinking, how does a filmmaker, how is he or she able to actually bring an entire amazing cast together and pull it off, I guess, on on the day of production? Because on one hand, it's a blessing. But on the other hand, you're just multitasking so many ways. Yeah, I mean, I I really did luck out with with the cast. I mean, first and foremost, I just, I mean, it literally, it was every single one of my first choices. I mean, it was just, I, so I really did luck out. And um, it's funny you you say that about the anxiety because I did have, I mean, I had all of them, you know, in one room in the hospital, and it was like it was very, and and initially, what was funny was initially I had planned it out that it was going to be a one take. So it was going to be basically six minutes in that, you know, when we first sort of meet B and it was going to be a one take. And then very quickly on the day, I I was like, I aborted because I think we started. And then I was like, you know what? There's too much. These guys are too good. And I have too many incredible reactions and stuff that I'm missing by having it be a one take. So we ended up kind of punting that uh, idea because it was just, they're just too good. And I wanted to give each person their, you know, their, their time. How close were you, I guess, during the production with Kiernan? Because you're obviously it's it's inspired by your own niece, but she. You know, I was looking at interviews and she said she cried the first time she read the script. But also just workshopping it and working with her. What does that entail as far as she's your lead, and you want to make sure that you know she she really loves what you're doing. But then ultimately, you, you guys are pretty much a partnership. How does that go about? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, Kiernan and I met, we talked extensively about the project, about the character. Um, 
she kind of actually, I think, well, yeah, it was coming from her that she really, it, 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 part of her process was not necessarily to like sit down with, um, you know, with my niece and instead sort of take stuff off the page and, and just an- anecdotes and make it her own, which is think was, you know, um, which was really cool. And what I was totally, uh, you know, I was into that as well. So we really just talked about the character in terms of the character on the page um, and kind of, you know, use that as our, you know, um, that was kind of the, the the bulk of it. it. There was no kind of, okay, let's go back and, and look at interviews or, or look at some of the footage of, of Christina. I think it really was, um, it was really Kiernan kind of wanting to use that as an inspiration, um, but then just make it her own. So I'm looking at your IMDb. I could be wrong on this. This is your first directing feature film debut kind of thing. I guess in sum, what was the biggest lesson you learned just from this entire experience that you're going to take on to your next project? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I've been I've been sort of training for this. I feel like my whole career I've been um directing commercials and music videos and short films and and I've really kind of stayed in my lane and I've really enjoyed telling shorter shorter stories but 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 really they're narrative focused commercials. So they always sort of have beginning, middle and an end and oftentimes, you know, they kind of I don't know. I've been told, you know, people cry more at some of the commercials I've done than 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 you know, anything they've seen. And so I don't know. I, I guess um, for me, it was kind of bringing everything that I've that I've been doing for the last fifteen years, um, and just kind of bringing bringing my A game and, and really, um, you know, in terms of what I learned, uh, you know, look, the actors were so fucking good. I don't know if I can say that on here, but uh, you can yeah. say that. You can say that. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, that, you know, it was one of those things for me where it was like, you know, so I guess maybe I was used to kind of directing a little bit more in terms of performances and stuff. And I think I just felt, you know, learned really quickly to just kind of get out of the way um, and make sure not to, you know, you know, I, I just felt like almost less is more with, with this, with this kind of caliber of actor. So that was certainly something that I, I learned very quickly. And then some of my, I think just, being prepared, uh, you know, I think, and that was something that I, 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 you know, I guess just again from doing this for a bit, um, I was very, very prepared, and I had, uh, I didn't storyboard, but I shot listed every single beat in the movie, and so I sort of came with, um, you know, I feel like I had enough prep, you know, just sort of enough, and I was able to kind of come feeling very prepared. We could spend hours going over it, even some of the smaller roles. We could talk about Victor Forever, Charlie oh, Plummer. Yeah. I can, yeah, so many. I mean, even something like Erica Alexander, that's a great choice. But I, I want to focus in on Samantha Hyde. I was looking at the interviews and she mentioned how this role really helped. I mean, paraphrasing just was really gratifying for her and it helped express herself creatively to the fullest, pretty much paraphrasing. Just what does that feel like for you as a collaborator to see that? Because A, on the flip side, people like me are going to really recognize her and praise her work. But you as the artist, what does it feel like to know that one of your actors really had such an amazing experience on your film? Oh, it was everything. I mean, that was, you know, we did a a, a nationwide search for that role. And that, you know, look, we weren't going to make the movie. If I if I hadn't found Samantha, I I don't, I wouldn't have made the movie. So it really is, that's like the best, uh, the best news ever to hear that. I, I I wasn't aware of that. So yeah, I mean, that, that not only warms my heart, but I mean, that was, uh, you know, she was responsible really for us and ending up making the movie. I mean, I just couldn't make it without, you know, without finding that role. And, um, 
and it wasn't easy. And so, yeah, I'm so proud of her. And she just, um, you know, she was really like a beacon of light with so much um, positivity and, and she'd brought, you know, kind of brought this incredible energy every day. And yeah, it was, it was really great. I mean, and look at who she was working with all these veterans in many ways. And she just kind of, she just you know, marched right in there and just did her thing. It, you, you know, I, I think fortunately and unfortunately, I can really relate to B in the sense that just on a surface level, it's just hard to l- letting go of the people that you love and you you might micromanage people just and suffocate them. But there is a necessity behind that as well. Could could you see that? Do you think that's very relatable for you as as a person, as a family man? Or it, did you learn and, and let go yourself? You're like, that's not a part of who, who you are. No, I, I think, you know, I sort of, yeah, I think it brought up a lot of things for me in terms of just reliving some of my, my own, you know, my own experiences. And, I, you know, obviously I went to college, I left my family. Um, I have kids myself, and now we're starting to enter into that phase of, of you know, what, what you know, my daughter's going to be leaving us. And so no, I think there's a real universal kind of truth. And uh, I, I hope that, that, you know, everyone can kind of apply some of their own history and stories to it for sure. Yeah. What, was, what were the biggest lessons you've learned making this as far as Wildflower goes and, and working with Kiernan? Because I think she just really, I've seen her in a lot of stuff and she's just so awesome in the lead and she really anchors this narrative. Yeah. I look, I think it goes back to kind of trusting your gut and, and casting, you know, is everything. And so if you cast, you cast it right and you're really hard on, on the choices that you make, you're going to end up with something I think that you're proud of. And and I just did, I trusted my gut and um, I knew immediately, like Kiernan was my first choice. We met and then having, t- you know, just sort of after that conversation, I knew immediately that she, that she was, she was the one. Um, so I think it's like, you know, it's really is just trusting, you know, trusting your gut and, and um, you know, sometimes I think people, there's outside voices who kind of come in and say, oh, you know, maybe this person's worth this or this person does that. I think you just really got to just lean in on, on, on how you feel um, as a filmmaker. And so I would, you know, I, I, w- I would just continue to do that. Uh, I think it served me well. I don't know if you're a Gen Xer. I'm a little bit older than you, but I used to remember when movies like Wildflower would open up in, in a theater and yeah. it'd stay there for several weeks and you let it grow. But yeah. the cool thing about this is it opens, I believe, March 17th, and then yeah. it's on digital and on demand March 21st. How happy are you with that? I mean, it's one of these things like we can't watch everything in theaters, but do you like the way the release platform is for Wildflower? Yeah, look, I mean, it's one of those things. I just, I don't quite understand what's happening now in terms of, you know, family dramedies. You, you just, you, there's not many of them to go see. And even though that's something for sure, you know, my family loves and we would go, the kids are looking for. Um, yeah, so I'm, look, I'm happy we're in theaters. Um, it's limited. And then it does go to Hulu. Um, I think it's a, maybe a month after, uh, I think it, or maybe the first week of May, it'll be on Hulu. So you know, I'm really thrilled about that. And I feel like everybody's gonna be able to see it, uh, in, you know, in some way, who, whoever wants to. And final question like, is, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, you know, one thing about being in a theater is, um, you know, I, not that I'm comparing my movie in any capacity to Triangle of Sadness, but the idea of seeing a movie that I, I wasn't, I didn't, you know, the title obviously was sort of, it doesn't say ring comedy. And so I was very, and I didn't read anything about it when I saw it. This was a while ago, but seeing it in a theater with people laughing and it just becomes infectious and you're sort of laughing so hard, you're crying because the guy next to you is like, can't stop. It's like, there's something about that, that I hope that the theater experienced with my movie, at least 
the moments that are funny, you know, you laugh uh, collectively and and then the moments that are emotional, you you know, you can feel like, OK, kind of, you know, kind of sharing in that with with the, the random person next to you. I think there's something you know really special about that. And um, just very quickly on the really special part. What was that day shooting the sequence with Jackie Weaver and Gene Smart, that sequence? It's emotional. You're obviously professional. You're the filmmaker. But what was it like it just from your POV shooting them in that Oh, scene? man, in the, the bathroom scene? Yeah. Yeah, these two legends. I mean, you know what's funny? So it was a public school. I was really crazed because there were like mosquitoes for some reason, which, you know, in L.A., there's not many. And so it's yeah. like Gene, it was such a trooper, was sitting outside getting like, you know, mosquitoes were coming after her. There was no trailer. I mean, this was an indie movie. And so both of those women just blew me away. So then I'm sort of stressed out about them, like having to deal with that. Then we, we wasn't a set. Like we found, I found that bathroom. It was a public school bathroom. So then I put them both in this, you know, like public school bathroom and, and we just, and look, we didn't have much time and they just, um, we, I feel like we banged that out in maybe two and a half hours or something. And that was really amazing. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely loved shooting that scene. That's a great moment. Okay, finally, just right off the top of your head, Matt, can you name one of your all-time favorite films? And what is it about this movie that resonates with you, most importantly, as a, as a cinephile? Yeah, I mean, look, off off the top of my head, I mean, definitely top 10 would be The Graduate. And I do think there is sort of a, this coming of age, obviously, in a very different manner. But I think I really love, I, I, you know, coming of age, whether it's in, in books or movies. And, um, and obviously, they come in all different kind of fashions. But yeah, that would be one that um, I, I, you know, I always I, I have to watch that movie once a year. And and Harold and Maude, I think, are the two kind of top for me. Those are great choices. Uh, very quickly before you leave, the graduate happy ending, sad ending, or is it a great ending because it's so it, everyone can interpret that ending to their own wherever they are in their life. You know. So. Yeah, I mean, I think you just said it. I mean, for me, it's funny. It depends on the mood that I'm in when I watch it and the state of mind. But uh, it can either be tragic or it could be so fucking awesome, beautiful. Yeah, I think it it sort of depends, and that's why you know, I love that so much. And it doesn't get old for me that movie. And thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate your film and good luck with it. Oh, thank you very much.